We're really excited about this next session, how music, entrepreneurship, and independence intersect. Please welcome Head On Mamo. How's everyone doing? Amazing. Everyone looks so beautiful. I'm so excited for this panel. I have three wonderful, amazing guests joining me on stage today. First of all, I'd love to introduce Victor Burnett, multi-talented record executive and Blast's manager, as well as president of Eagle. Up next, I mean, this man really doesn't need an introduction, but if I had to summarize who he is, he is a Grammy-nominated, multi-platinum, billboard-charting artist, as well as the co-founder and CEO of his own company, Eagle. Please give a round of applause for Blast. And last but not least, we have Carl Folks, entertainment lawyer, as well as the COO of Eagle. How are we all doing? Good, good. What's up, everybody? All right. Well, obviously, Blast, you are an incredible artist, but I feel like what isn't touched on a lot is that you're also an entrepreneur and that you three have started your own company, Eagle, which is a multifaceted company that, you know, involves a record label, publishing company, um, you know, investment firm, you name it. It's you know, has everything in-house, which is amazing. And I'd love to start by, you know, how did you three meet and decide on working together? So first I met Vic in L.A. in 2017 uh, at a studio, specifically in Culver City. Um, this was the studio space that he would run, and I would go in there and rent out studio time from him. And uh, he would notice that I would come in and out of there by myself, you know, just recording myself, making beats and things like that. And one day he chimed in and he was like, yo, like, how are you putting out this music? Like, where your team at? And uh, I, pretty, I told him my situation. I was putting out music independently at the time through DistroKid. He was like, we got to work, man. We, we got to do something together. So we came up with this, this idea called a content calendar where we would post on social media, engage, you know, the growth from there, just on Instagram and YouTube, things like that. And uh, we built an organic relationship, working relationship at that point. And Carl, he had reached out via Instagram randomly, just as a fan naturally, right? And um, I told him what me and Vic had going on. And I would say literally maybe like two weeks after he had flew out, met up with me and Vic, and that was the beginning of what you see now. Wow. So business goes down in the DMs as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, Vic, I feel like you have such a unique managerial role because a lot of times when I talk to artist managers, they feel kind of like the babysitter or just a negotiator. But you guys are really partners. How did you establish that unique bond? Um, well, I'm definitely not Blast babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that, you know, just like I said, he was patronizing the business at first. So, I mean, I think it was just more so a general respect at first, just for what he was doing and what I was doing. Um, and then I think that 
through that business relationship being developed, we seen that we were both independent resources to do a lot of things in our own field. And we had kind of built up a lot of stuff for ourselves independently. And it was kind of like opportunity just made preparation. You know, um, I think the whole the whole time where we were working towards these goals in 2017 and the years before we met Carl, it was really just us understanding each other and each other's work ethic, but we got so many similarities, but are also so different at the same time. I think it just worked in our benefit. I love that. And Carl, I feel like you're also in a unique position because you're one of the only, you know, lawyers for an artist that I feel like is at the forefront of the team and not just someone who's playing on the back end. You know, describe what makes your role so unique in that way. Um, I, I think... Uh, you know, I think lawyers have a vantage point, I think, in so many different areas of business, right? Touring, uh, publishing, merch, recording, we're doing contracts at cost. So um, I think for me, um, I think you got to know who you are. You know, I think all of us view ourselves as dynamic people, like people who don't just do one thing, right? We're not the type of people who just go in, clock in, do that one thing. We're the type of people that, you know, we want to run a business. We want to be a lawyer. I want to be a professor. I want to do that. So um, I think just having those aspirations, um, it was very easy to kind of connect with those guys on a deeper level. Hey, you know, our relationship started at the lawyer level, but um, it's grown into so much more because of those common themes of, you know, generational wealth, you know, building something that's really special. Totally. And how did the three of you come up with Eagle? Because I feel like a lot of times when an artist starts their own company, it might just encapsulate like a record label and like maybe publishing. But I feel like you guys have made this, you know, so multidimensional. Like, how did that come to be? Well, initially, it started with me just looking at it from a perspective of, I feel it's more respectable when an artist has representation versus just putting out music on your own, you know. So, and I always had a vision of creating it bigger than me, you know, with generational wealth. I wanted to have other artists eat as well, have other producers and songwriters on the team as well. And that was the initial vision. But um, as far as the name, uh, fact about an eagle is it's one of the highest flying birds, right? But it doesn't fly in flocks. So to me, that represented confidence because I always had confidence issues growing up as a kid. So I was like, let me fly at my highest altitude, but I'm going to switch it. I'm going to have a team of eagles with me. I love that. And especially what you said about kind of like ownership and generational wealth. I feel like historically people who look like us don't get told that we're afforded those opportunities and that it could be a possibility for us. But you guys are all living proof that that actually can happen. When did you guys learn about, you know, ownership and generational wealth? And do you feel like there are other opportunities in the music industry for people who look like us to actually get those two? Um, I think inadvertently, just growing up in Los Angeles, you see people like Adam Kennedy, Nip, um, even Two Shorts and E40s. Like ownership and and really running your own program is really embedded in our in our blood and our DNA when we growing up here. But I think even just our age bracket too, you start to you start to be able to see more people in all different fields own their craft um, and own their intellectual property. So. I think when we all came together, one thing that even made us even like each other in the first place was that it was like we want to own everything. 
So, you know, I, that that was like the biggest commonality with all of us. But I just think just growing up in a space to where you see so much creation and so much opportunity, you see so many people not be able to eat off that long term. And then you start being like, OK, how can I change the tide of that in my in my generation, in my family, in my community? And just to piggyback, I, I think it's multiple opportunities nowadays. Like you got DistroKid, you got TuneCore, you got YouTube. It's a lot of platforms that provide that director's consumer channel you feel me so it's a lot of opportunities to put some revenue in your own pocket yeah and i I would say too i think the biggest thing is like you know uh why we built this company so wide i think we all kind of view music as like you know music for us is just a vehicle right and the vehicle is for a larger impact you know there's kids who can't eat there's you know i looked at the home ownership rate in 2022 um you know for white americans it was 72 percent, and for black americans it was 40 percent and that rate was lower than it was 10 years ago, right? So for us, it's like we can show people through ownership of this industry, but it's to build dynamic products across. Definitely. And one thing I actually forgot to mention at the beginning of this panel is we will be having a Q&A at the end, but it will be through submissions on the South by Southwest app. So as you know, we're talking and if you have something come up, uh, please go to the South by Southwest app and go on this featured session, click engage, and we'll go through your questions at the very end. Um, Blast, I want to toss it back to you because I remember I interviewed you, I want to say August of 2021, when you were Billboard's R&B Hip Hop Rookie of the Month, which he's actually our R&B Hip Hop Rookie of the Year for 2021. And one of the things that really does set you apart, obviously, with Eagle is that you wanted to bring more people into the fold. Like you said, you've signed artists, you've brought people in, you know, through the publishing firm that you have established through a JV with Warner Chapel. You know, how did you bring those people in and what are your hopes for them? So a lot of the relationships were organic. Um, I met Jay Million once again through Instagram uh grandmaster vic i met him at chipotle locally (laughs) he was working at chipotle at the time and i just ran into him then i seen him on instagram another day i was like is this the same dude from chipotle like he was just talented and uh jay pilot if i'm not mistaken you knew his family members so a lot of the relationships were built organically but outside of that uh i like to look at myself as like someone who goes in-house first so a lot of the opportunities are presented presented in that way like when i'm working on my album the first producers i'm gonna go to is the ones on my roster you feel me and um i feel like with that mentality we can only win absolutely so if someone dms you hey you want to sign me is that the move are we meeting you at chipotle like Nah, I mean, I, I guess I just also have a natural eye for talent as well. They was, you know, distributing content in their own right as well. So, you know, it was like talent meets talent. Absolutely. And, you know, not just artists, but, you know, Eagle, the company, actually has more than 12 employees. And I want to ask you guys, you know, how did you bring those people in and what were the qualities of them that stood out to you that you felt like best represented Eagle? Um, I would say just to blast original point earlier, like people that that obtain those eagle traits, you know, were able to to be self-sufficient, um, 
people that were already working in their craft before we even approached them. Like, I mean, some people we gave different opportunities to that they may not have seen like the full capability at first, and then they were able to walk into that. But for the most part, I think everybody that is a part of Eagle is highly qualified and skilled in their position. And we just wanted to come together kind of like a transformer and build like a, a, a bigger purpose and just understand that you have to be able to delegate and you have to be able to hand things off to people and trust in their creativity, their knowledge, um, even their decision-making ability. So I think that that's just the base of it, of how we got to even just initially being like, I think this is a person of interest we should bring on. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll add too, I think like, you know, um, you know, people don't view music companies as startups, but this is a startup, right? We don't, you know, um, in a lot of ways, we're bootstrapping. We're doing a lot of things, um, you know, with a smaller budget. So um, we needed people who believe, too, you know, more than anything else, like believe in the vision of Eagle, believe in Blast as an artist, believe in Vic as a as a president, believe in me as an attorney and a and a co-founder of the company. So um, just creating that culture where, where people believe is, is super important when you're building any company at the ground stages. Definitely. And, you know, it's not just trusting the people that you work with, you know, at Eagle, but also trusting the partners that you have. And you guys have a partnership with Red Bull Records. Um, you know, from your perspective as his manager, I'm curious, like, why did you feel like Red Bull was the ideal partner for Blast? And what resources have they been able to give to you guys? Yeah, so I think a big thing in the music industry, um, people just love proof of concept, right? And so rather that be you being able to sell your own merch, sell your own tickets to your show, being able to get streams, monthly listeners on Spotify, go the list goes on. Um, but I feel like Red Bull wasn't really so hung up on proof of concept to the point to where they held us to a standard that was unattainable. Same thing with them, though, right? Like, they're in the same positions as far as they had all the tools to be able to do this. I just think they needed somebody like Blast to even show even further more past their previous accomplishments that, like, oh, we're a competitor in this space, too. So it was like us and Red Bull, we were looking for the same exact thing for our separate companies, but Red Bull also gave us an opportunity and is still giving us an opportunity to learn as we actually doing business at the same time, whereas I think a lot of companies in general, whether it be whatever field you in, if you don't really know, most of the time you do get taken advantage of. And in, in respect to Red Bull, it's like we get the autonomy. We have office space there now. Um, the ancillary projects they have, whether it be F1, whether it be the culture team, whether it be Red Bull Media House, like everybody is super supportive of what the bottom line objective is for us. So I think with any great business deal, business was very mutually beneficial when it came to us doing business with Red Bull and vice versa. Carl, did you want to add anything? No, shout out to Red Bull, man. <laughs> <laughs> um. Blast, obviously you are still partnering with them because you renewed your partnership in 2021. Why did you feel like that was the right move for you rather than, you know, sign to a major label? Uh, just just to go off what he said as well, it was an opportunity for me because personally, this was my first time doing business with any entity, right? So I wanted to be able to take the stairs before I take the elevator. And it's provided an opportunity for me to learn the business as I was growing within the business. And on top of that, um, I'm a big advocate for creative control, and they was open-minded and understood that vision as well. So it was perfect. Totally. And um, for any, you know, artists in the room, 
what advice would you have for them in terms of when do you feel like is the right time to sign to a label or to, you know, go at it on your own and really be independent? Like, do you even need to sign to a label these days anymore? Uh, it's a case by case um, scenario. I think, you know, because some artists thrive on labels, some artists don't. Um, for me personally, I don't think it's a right time or a wrong time to sign to a label. But for me, I wanted to make it a point to build my own leverage first because I knew and understood the importance of bringing something to the table with any relationship in business, you know. So that's what I would advise. Yeah, no, I think it's really important uh, for you, for an artist and their team to kind of have their bottom lines, right? Like, so um, I have a legal strategy. I call it LOMO, and it stands for Length, Obligation, Money, and Ownership. So, you know, I think coming into any sort of partnership, you want to know how long the contract is. You want to know what your obligation is. You want to know um, what money is involved, how you're getting paid, you know, how you're able to um, fund your business. And, you know, the last key question is ownership. Like, you know, at what level of ownership do you want to come in? You know, Issa Rae talks about that a lot. Um, and if you want to come in at the highest point of ownership, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of steps that you have to accomplish um, working in this industry. Get you a lawyer like Carl, man, for real. Um, Carl, I actually want to ask you something because um, this year is the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And one of my colleagues at Billboard actually wrote an article about how, you know, music catalog investors have this increased appetite for buying up, you know, rap song um, rights and hip hop artists, producers, catalogs. What do you feel like these headline making sales mean for the genre and the culture moving forward? I think it's I think it's good. I mean, you know, kind of only recently have a lot of those catalog sales been hip hop. A lot of those things have been rock, um, folk music, things that have a longer history, right? So, you know, hip hop's history isn't that long. And um, so I think it's really, really good to see valuations like, you know, Dr. Dre selling for, I think it was like 200 million. Uh, Metro Boomin gave up a piece of his, his publishing for 70 million. Um, it's encouraging for sure. And I also think it's the own your master sort of conversation has, um, become almost detrimental to a point, right? I think when anything you buy or anything you own, there's prob it's you build to exit. Like that's just you know you get a piece of real estate for thirty thousand dollars and it's now worth a million dollars, right? Like you, you're not going to get a better return on that. Like it is, it's time to cash out. So own your masters, but it's a business decision, and I think you just got to know when it's your, when it's your time. Totally. Um- Vic, I remember reading about you that prior to working with Blast, you were helping local independent artists monetize their content. What's one piece of advice that you were giving them that still holds true today? Um, I think it's just referencing. I mean, it may not be like that content calendar exactly what, what Blast was speaking about earlier, but just a concept I even learned. So I got my master's in PR and media development. So like my professor used to always tell us it's important to keep your channel noisy and that doesn't in music that doesn't necessarily mean like you got to flood the market all year round with music just more so just stay in front of your consumer whether that be merch whether that be pop-up shops uh activations whatever that is you want to make sure that your consumer is always interacting with the brand and i think that also piggybacks what blast was saying earlier just about like representation is better than just being a solo entity because now with us being able to keep the noise keep the channel noisy 
everything doesn't have to go through Blast. Blast doesn't have to oversaturate his Instagram, his YouTube, any of that stuff. We're able to push it out through different channels, whether that be through our Ventures Network, whether that be just through our other Instagram, through Eagle. Um, it's a bunch of different avenues, but I think in any entrepreneur space, like you always got to make sure that you are serving the community that you are trying to have as a consumer. Definitely. I love what you said about, you know, keeping the channel noisy. Um, and I feel like one of the things that I really appreciate about like Blast in terms of like your music releases, I feel like you're really good at dropping like bite-sized projects. So actually last week, Blast dropped a four-song EP called Just for Clarity 2. It's absolutely fire. I keep singing, you be trying to call my bluff, like literally in the mirror this morning. Um, and your first Just For Clarity project had collabs with the late Drake the Ruler and Russ. And you've also had two six tape projects with Bino Rideau. Like what makes those bite-sized projects so appealing to you in terms of like you could have dropped an album and done a deluxe version, which we see a lot in hip hop, especially. So I'm I'm a big fan of artists who put out bodies of work that uh, have series, you know, like Kanye West, Graduation, a Dropout, things like that. And I look at Just For Clarity as my opportunity from a branding point to create my own world like that. And um, I don't know, I just like how this is a moment for me to not be so serious because my full bodies of work are more cohesive storytelling. And this is a time where I could just, you know, pop my shit. You feel me? So, um, yeah, and it's, it's just like an appetizer for the album because I'm cooking up something big right now. So, Ooh, yeah, we love to hear it. If you could do another kind of like collaboration project with another artist, who would it be and why? I might have to say Pharrell. Ooh. That's the one. That's the one. I feel like that's where I initially got my creativity from, just seeing how he was a producer and an artist as well. He came from the skateboard community. He was the GOAT. He was the GOAT, for sure. Totally. Um, I want to pivot to another branch of Eagle, which is the investment branch. Um, I'm going to read the description here for you all. But Eagle Ventures invests in companies creating innovative products, technology, and or solutions in entertainment, consumer tech, wellness, and everything in between. The investment portfolio currently includes Chubby Snacks, Cafe Urzuli, and I'm happy to announce your latest edition, Rec Philly. Um, Carl, for you, what aspects and ideologies in those companies that you invest in are important before you actually go ahead and make that, you know, decision? Yeah, shout out, shout out to Rec Philly, uh, co-founder Will Toms in here, and uh, uh, I think for us when we invest, um, especially at this stage, because it's you know we're, it's fairly early, you want to align yourself with a company that has a lot of the same goals and missions that you have. So, you know, Rec, Rec Philly calls themselves a gym for creatives. So they're democratizing opportunity in the work process for artists at every single level. So, you know, you walk into Rec, you know, there's a photo studio, there's a recording studio, there's a Live Nation stage, there's a co-working space, right? And the membership is fairly inexpensive. It's not a, it's not Soul House. Um, it's, you know, it's for, it's for creators. So when you have that sort of product where it's sort of helping um, creators create and go from, you know, farm to table, quote unquote, right? You're helping artists, you know, create the song, 
get the visual content behind it, and then you're networking, right? I think in the bedroom musician era, because this is this is the bedroom musician era, um, there's not a lot of time for artists to connect with other artists at a similar level, especially people who aren't doing the same things, right? Blast might be a singer, songwriter, producer, um, and he happens to be a graphic designer, so he's, he's not a good example. But most people are probably good at one thing, right? You're a music producer or you're a recording artist, um, but you don't know how to design your logos and, and your merch, and um, you don't know how to do the content part. Um, so, um, you know, Rec Philly is that sort of company, and, and we're looking for, for companies that align with what we're trying to build. And how did you guys actually establish the investment branch of Eagle? Like, how long did that develop? And, wh like, why even? Like, of all the branches that you could have in Eagle, why was the investment branch so important to you? Um, I, I think Vic talks about this a lot, and, you know, I, I'm sure I want to chime in, but not waiting sort of 20 years in your into your career to sort of worry about what's next, right? Like, I think... Um, we have some really, really great examples in hip hop. Jay Z, Nas, Queensbridge Capital. Um, there's so many of these these people who from hip hop who have, um, you know, created these channels for themselves. But later in their career, um, I think you know, for for somebody like Blast who's just striking, sort of the cultural currency that he'll develop. Um, you know, if you can get ahead of that, you could be smart. And while you're the hottest of your, because, you know, and it's music, it's culture. You know, you're always going to try to get hotter and hotter, but there's a time when you're at your peak. And if we're able to sort of capitalize at that moment, you know, it, it, it's over. Where do all three of you see Eagle headed in the next five to ten years? Uh, $5 billion valuation. <laughs> Um, I mean, I I think what uh, what Blast was talking about earlier, as far as that concept, like the stairs versus the elevator. I mean, I think we on that constant strive right now to like keep expanding. One, obviously, from an admin perspective, from a creative perspective. Um, but it's hard to. I don't even think that we, well, at least myself, I don't even think that I'm even capable of predicting because I think I'll be lowballing this if I said where we'll be in the next five to ten years, to be honest with you. I mean, just even from that conversation about why we started um, a venture firm, it's just like most artists are scrambling because on the front end, they so kind of like willing to sacrifice their business terms for a large amount of money that, you know, where we didn't do that. And it ended up playing in our favor just because the small steps we took gave us leverage to be able to be like, all right, we don't got to spend that first chunk of change on trying to buy back assets like we already own the assets. So now we can look forward rather than trying to double back. So, um, you know, I feel like if we keep laying these footprints down that way, like the sky is really the limit, to be honest. I would say I think of legacy in the next five to 10 years, you know, I think of carving my own lane, carving our lanes and uh, leaving that, that blueprint for the next artist to push the boundaries creatively. But also one of my biggest things is, and Carl always likes to say this, when you look under the hood of Eagle, the business was honest as well, you know? So those are the type of things we want to leave for our future kids and things like that. Carl, did you have anything to add besides the... No, nah, they, they said it. Okay. <laughs> they hit it. <laughs> Was there anything else that I didn't ask you guys about that you wanted to talk about? No, nah, I feel like you prepared amazing. <laughs> 
I mean, you guys made it so easy. How, how could I not? Um, so we're going to be taking some questions now. Um, as a reminder, we're taking them through the South by Southwest app. So please go to the featured session and then click on engage and ask away. Um, let's see. The first question we have here from Anonymous is how do you balance the creative side of the music industry with the business side? And what strategies do you use to ensure both are successful? Is that to somebody specific, you think? That's um, definitely a blast question, I feel like. Sure, yeah. <laughs> For me personally, I rely on trust a lot. And I, I look at these two people as people I can trust, you know. And that's important to have a team that you can trust because I feel we share the same qualities, such as working hard, dedicated, paying attention to details. And with that business side being handled, it allows me to be a creative, you know, so that's how I keep my balance personally. The next question is from Elijah Thomas. In a changing market towards independence, what role does a record label play today's industry? That's a that's a tricky question. I know. Um I you know, I, I think it really just, you know, it, a lot of it's gonna come, you know, I think you start by building inside out, right? So you have your mission, you have what you want to do in the industry. And I think that will sort of frame the relationships you have with the partners and the other companies you work with. I think record labels still play a um, a major role. Um, you know, one as, you know, obviously the, the biggest thing is people, they have capital. Um, but, you know, a lot of record labels have experience with dealing with DSPs. They have marketing departments, you know, they know the radio people. Um, they have an A&R team that's strong that connect you with a bunch of producers, songwriters, artists. So there is there is a lot of value in working with the right record label. Um, that's why I, I would say the right record label. Definitely. Um, our next question is from Andy Tran. With artists evolving into their own brand business, how do you decide which avenues to explore outside of music to enhance the overall success of an artist? I think that's a really great question because obviously we're talking about how like, you know, as an artist with Blast and Eagle, like you're able to expand in all these different ventures and actually, you know, have ownership. But at the same time, you know, how do you make sure that everything that you're branching off into doesn't take away from the music and from Blast's success. I'd love to hear from Carl and or Vic. Um, I think outside of music stuff is always really, really important to, to make sure those companies align with what you're trying to, to, to trying to do yourself. Right. So um, if we're involved, we're, you know, aligning ourselves and investing in companies that don't, you know, we don't agree with their bottom line, right? They're doing stuff in the world that just isn't right. Um, that's integrity, right? I think we really, we really, really, really strive for business integrity. So if we're going to partner with a company, we got to know, um, you know, the stuff that they're doing behind, you know, under the hood. And that's our due diligence process. Um, but it's also, you know, not, a, not about saturating. Um, this is, you know, this is still about art. You know, Blast is, he was Billboard, you know, Rookie of the Year. Um, this is a long journey. You know, there's a lot of albums and projects that need to come out. So um, I think, you know, Vic and I handle a lot of it. But um, I think we we can also say we're still 100% focused on the creative and the music and the art. Yeah, and just to piggyback off him, I would say that even as it relates to, like, an individual artist, 
um, a lot of stuff that we did early on was just a direct correlation between like blast and even our lifestyles, right? Like we got some early content on YouTube called the cook up where, I mean, a lot of people just didn't know, or they just weren't knowledgeable that blast was producing his own music or they didn't know his healthy lifestyle choices either. So what we did was brought in some vegan chefs and they taught him how to cook some recipes because of him being vegan. And then on the flip side, um, he taught them how to break down and produce beats. So, like, that was, like, a super interactive way. And that ended up expanding out to different partnerships. Like, we had a company called Pito's, which is, like, a vegan chip company. And they sponsored a lot of stuff we did early on. But that was based off of Blast natural connection with these things or even just messing with skateboarding teams and stuff like that. All of that type of stuff was never too far outside of the realm of Eagle or outside of Blast. So when it comes organic and natural like that, I think it's always beneficial. Facts. Um, the next question is from Aaliyah Andrews. What is your view on PROs like Sound Exchange in relation to royalty collection for smaller artists? That's giving Carl. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Sound Exchange is cool. I mean, you know, I think for, for people who don't really know what Sound Exchange does, um, they're paying out um, performance royalties on the master side. So in America, we don't pay um, master royalties on terrestrial radio. So if you go to AM, FM radio, the only people who are getting a royalty from radio play is songwriters, producers, and publishers, like publishers, people who owns a piece of publisher. So um publishing is a, is a is a is a radio sport you know if a song is number one at radio top five at radio you're gonna get a nice pub deal um in other territories that's not the case so that's a, that's another question sound exchange what that does though is allows for you know the internet radio interactive radio stations like um you know beats one radio on apple um pandora pandora some of the online radio stations they pay out a master royalty um or a performance royalty for the master side so um there you know i think it's just a part of the growing digital landscape that is there's probably going to be another royalty that i don't know of you know that rep three sort of creates right you know um but I, I think sound exchange is a byproduct of internet royalty uh, internet radio royalties um our next question is from lisa what other business endeavors do you hope to pursue through eagle I mean, I think what's crazy that it feel like the next question lead into that too, though, is um, about just what we're looking for into small businesses worth investing in. Um, sorry to jump ahead. My bad. Oh, you, you good. Uh, you good. But, I mean, both of those are kind of like the same question. I think it starts off with does it add up with our core values and, like, our morals? And, like, is it something that we can actually see ourselves being a byproduct of like even with rec philly right like that's something that all three of us can go in and actually utilize the space for ourselves and actually extend it to the people who are in our business network um so i think that is the the commonality between all of our investments like we indulge and we're consumers of these things ourselves um our next question is from musa what's the biggest misconception about being an independent artist blast misconception hmm I would say that there isn't a team I think people have to realize being an independent still means that you work with a team um, I don't think anything has a, a solid foundation without something else to lean on whether that be a partnership whether that be 
you know, a manager, whether that be a producer, you have to build a foundation in it. And it, it lasts longer when you, when you know you didn't do it alone, you know? Yeah, I, I would all, <laughs> this is like, the, this turned into like the, uh, the Rec Philly love, love show, but you know, their, their tagline is independence doesn't mean alone. Right. So, I mean, that's literally what Blast just said, but it's also, um, I'd say Red Bull Records is an indie label, but um, they have a lot of resources, right? They have a build-out. They have a marketing department. They have a PR. Um, they have an A&R team. So I think just finding partners that might exist in the quote-unquote indie um, world but who are extremely capable of um, you know, blowing your stuff out the water in a way that we possibly can't. Yeah, and I just want to add, too, I think that, the biggest misconception independent or major label i mean you need a team as an artist period like it's not if you leaning on the creativity of people who are coming to be an employee at a job every day not saying that these people are not experts or what they're doing but um i mean for us internally like we don't check out like this every day for us 25 8 and some employees that just may be their job that day you know and it may be that job for monday through friday when they get to the weekend they don't want to think about creativity anymore. They don't want to think about how we can take the business to the next level. So I think it's just always important, like what Blast was saying, um, just to to look within first and see what type of strides you can make so you can have some sort of proof of concept when you come to the table. You have negotiation leverage. You have conversational leverage just to be like, you know, this is what we have laid out for ourselves. How can we meet in the middle? For sure. This is definitely not like a nine-to-five job. Um and independence doesn't mean alone as a bar. So shout out Rec Philly for that. Um, I'll take a question from Anonymous. Uh, what excites you about the music business today and what doesn't? That's a really good question. Uh, shout out Anonymous, whoever yeah. you are. I, I think the way you could create so fast, right? Like I, I referenced Bedroom um you know creators before but you know you could literally produce a song and get it up to the masses in like in a day right like that you know anybody who was in the industry 20 years ago or 15 years ago uh, probably even 10 years ago that they don't know what that feeling is like so we don't take advantage of like how that quick you know direct to consumer asset um you know relationship um is there in the music business so that's something that that everybody here has access to now what that also does is overcrowd the market so you know everybody can actually put up a song in 24 hours right so i think the the the, the number that spotify puts out or, or that's been you know juggled is there's a hundred thousand songs a day being uploaded on on dsps um which is crazy right a hundred thousand so i don't necessarily believe that but um you know with ai you know everyone's talking about ai and generative ai um, it's going to be even quicker to make songs. Like you're just going to be able to put stuff into to machine learning, and they're going to it's going to crank out something. So if the, it's a hundred thousand songs now, I think that there's a real capability that it could be two hundred songs, two hundred thousand songs a day next year. Or you know when when we so it's just really really fast, and I think there's benefits to that, but it also um, you know the 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 gift is a curse. Blast, Vic, any thoughts? Um, my thoughts are, I mean, it said, what's, what are we most excited about? And what are you most excited about in the music industry? And then what doesn't excite you about it? Uh, what does excite me is the uncharted territory in the music industry. Like there's so many different, 
I would say, business models to be created at this point. I mean, all of us have been alive when streaming got created. And, I mean, I was I made my first chunk of change off LimeWire. Like, when I was, like, elementary school and middle school, like, making mix CDs and stuff. So, like, just to see the progression of how music is consumed at this point and even getting to where we got to, right? Like, Blast had a number one song at Rhythm and Urban last year, um, multiple plaques off of a project that a lot of people and a lot of major label music executives said that these were metrics that we couldn't achieve. So in the in the era of breaking down a lot of these barriers, I think that, you know, it's we haven't even really gotten started, to be honest with you. And just obtaining bigger business acumen and better business acumen as we travel through these spaces, um, that's what I'm most excited about. What I'm what am I not excited about? Uh, I don't know. The, the the late nights feel like they get later, and I like to go to sleep. <laughs> so so I guess every now and again I like to catch up on that sleep for sure, for sure. But everything else, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for this blessing. Yeah, I would also say I don't think we've we figured out the streaming payout model yet, right? Like, you know, people are getting 100 million streams and it's just not equating to to that much money. So, and we don't and we I don't really trust it. I don't trust the algorithms or the the metrics that they're telling me and um there's the pooling royalty system. We, we got to figure out uh streaming payouts. We really do. Definitely. Um I like this next question from Raina. How do you set boundaries amongst yourselves? And if there were conflicts, how did you overcome them as a team? I feel like kind of Vic, what you were saying earlier about like, I would love to catch up on some sleep. Like that's so real because as much as, you know, we all love what we're doing in this industry. I feel like no one really wants to work like all the time, all the time. And so how do you make sure that you're not, you know, burning out and, you know, making sure that this is still like a team effort and that you guys are united front. I mean, it goes back to those uh, 11 plus employees. Delegation is key for sure. So, I mean, that one, but two, I think this is, we don't even look at this really honestly as work. Um, I think we now have the autonomy and the decision-making to be able to say no to who we want to say no to. But I think that's a big theme of us as a company from the jump was that we weren't um, we weren't afraid to say no. We weren't against uh, we weren't against going against the grain or making an unpopular decision. So I think that amongst all of us, and just having open communication too. It's not even like something I may think is a great idea. They may be like you crazy, and the other way around, I may be saying like I think y'all are crazy. But we still got that open space to communicate, whether it be on the executive level or even on the team level too, because this is truly a joint effort amongst everybody. Yeah, do, do you have anything to say, Blast? I was going to say, just not being so hung up on the end goal, you know, you have to fall in love with the process of anything that you're getting into. And for me, like, people ask me, how you produce graphic design and record and engineer? But for me, it, it just feels like I'm playing a video game, you know? So I just, I just enjoy the process of being a creative. Like, that's my therapy, in a sense. Carl? Nah, they hit it. Yeah. <laughs> well i feel like those are a lot of questions you know from my side from the fan side thank you so much everyone for attending this panel thank you so much to victor blast and carl for being here today i really appreciated getting to do this with you all thank you i appreciate Absolutely. it thank you sir.